Best of Times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, celebrating age and maturity, helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The Best of Times, your host, Gary Kaligas. Good morning, radio listeners. I'm Gary Kaligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only magazine and radio show for mature adults in Northwest Louisiana. Thank you for tuning in to our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Keel application on their Apple and Android devices. We do thank AARP Louisiana and Ebears, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer for being the exclusive sponsors of this radio show to provide you with beneficial information each and every Saturday morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn from a author, researcher, and historian about her book regarding Elvis Presley, which she advocates that he was destined to die young. So stay tuned to the show for some very fascinating information. It is Saturday, October the 16th, and we are broadcasting our show from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept call-in questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the October issue of the Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. Thank you for the many compliments about our magazine. We do appreciate hearing from you. Remember, if you're unable to find a printed copy at one of our 270 distribution locations, you can always visit our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues, as well as to view and download the current 2021 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. In addition, and you can listen to previously broadcast radio shows here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Make plans to attend the 11th Annual Senior Day Expo on Thursday, October the 28th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Hearst Coliseum during the Louisiana State Fair here in Shreveport. Free admission, free parking, free entrance to the State Fair of Louisiana until 3 p.m. We will have hundreds of exhibitors providing beneficial information about their products and services. Lots of fabulous door prizes, many giveaways, entertainment, presentations, and contests. Free health screenings, plus the availability of you getting your COVID-19 vaccine or booster, in addition to the flu vaccine, pneumonia vaccine. So pick up the October issue of the Best of Times to learn more about it and learn how you can also might win our $1,000 grand door prize. Great news, our friends at Ernest Arlene's Restaurant is pleased to bring back the Best of Times Thursday night dinner starting at 4.30 p.m. each and every Thursday in October and November only. This special Thursday night dinner is hosted by the Best of Times magazine and radio show, but also our friends at Always Best Care. Advanced reservations are highly recommended by calling 318 318- 226-1325. Again, that's 226-1325 due to the popularity of this special dinner at greatly reduced price. So again, also be sure to register for our monthly door prizes when you're dining on one of these Thursdays. We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Abares, Stunning Country Ace Report, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. 
Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 101.7 FM and 710 Key. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, probably presented by AARP Louisiana and Bears Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a very special guest, is Miss Sally Hodel, who is an author, researcher, and I even call her historian, and she's discussing her new book, Elvis Presley, Destined to Die Young. So thank you, Sally, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you. Well, Sally, I want to tell you, when I, I read your book at a slow pace, I knew a lot of things about Elvis Presley and his, and his family, but after reading your book, and I'll tell you listeners out there, it gave you more insight. And I'm, I'm, uh, I will tell you, I advocate you to pick up this book or this book. Uh, you're gonna be, you're gonna find it fascinating. I mean, I went very slow and went back through, re- reread some chapters, and uh, she has done an excellent job in her research. And uh, and 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 I, I'm glad you have written this book, Sally. And I, we'll talk about you know why, but I I think it puts sure. to puts to rest some of these misnomers and mischaracterizations of Elvis Presley. And uh, I, I, as I mentioned to you earlier, there's a lot of Elvis fans throughout uh, the area in the Shreveport, Bossier City, and surrounding Arklatex area, and many thousands of people um, that have are still enjoying his music and enjoying, but also his his wonderful life and. Uh, I know that many people have, have went to his concerts. Of course, he was here at the Louisiana Hayride, and right. for, for many years, and uh, gave his start uh, here in the Shreveport and Bossier City area. So, tell our listeners a, a little bit example of how much work was involved in your research to to make your case about Elvis and his health issues. Absolutely, and thanks for saying all that. You know, I'm a fan too. I'm a lifelong Elvis fan, and, and this certainly was a passion project for me. I am a journalist. I have a degree from Michigan State University, but you know, this was absolutely a crossroads of you know professional and personal endeavor coming together because. Like all the other Elvis fans out there, I, I read all the books and I'd always kind of leave each one with more questions than answers. And um, not long ago, well, this, so this project took four years from start to finish, from, you know, idea to having the book in my hand was four years. And it was a lot of research, a lot of trips to Memphis and Tupelo, uh, really privileged to meet and interview so many people who knew Elvis and now to be able to call them friends, you know, that's really the amazing Aww. aspect of all of this, which I never, you know, as a young girl reading about Elvis and now knowing these people, and it's, it's really, really amazing. But, yeah, it did. It all started with just a lot of reading. And uh, one of the things that really prompted it is I had my my parents had my old Elvis books, and I didn't know that, but I had bought, Aww. you know, original copies of Elvis and Me and Elvis and Gladys when I was a kid. Um, and read them, and, and they had them. So I was reunited with those old books, and when I got them back, you know, I reread them. And that's when I, I realized, you know, in Elvis and Gladys, that's one of the first books where they talk about Elvis's grandparents being, his maternal grandparents being first cousins. And again, as a fan, I was like, huh, like, I wonder if, if that explains a lot of this. That explains why Elvis and Gladys die in a similar four-year degenerative pattern of health. So that was kind of what, you know, started the whole idea, and then it I started reading and I thought, well, let's see what else is out there. And even as a lifelong fan, I was really surprised at how much evidence there was, how much these dots connected. Uh, so it started with reading. I read probably over 100 books on Elvis. Some of them wow. are reread, as I said. Since 100 I books? <laughs> yeah. I don't think any of my Elvis fans in this area have read all 100 books. I'm impressed. It's, 
I, well, and then after you read them, you have to store them. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where do I put all these books? <laughs> right, and what a second, Sally. I love the word you say, store them. You know, these millennials and even others now, you know, they have all their digital versions. You know, right. everybody, I, 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 very few people now get hardback books. They all want digital, you, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I still like the I picking up the copy. And by the way, hers, hers is, I'm, I haven't even checked it. Her book is a, a, a fascinating book, and it's, wow, you list so many references, too, in your book. I mean, if everybody... Absolutely. That is like a research project. I mean, it every was, chapter, was, every chapter, she has notes and details. And, I mean, um, most most authors doing this kind of stuff never give you the rest of the story and never show you the sources. Really? I, I'm telling you. I've, right. seen, I've got other authors on right. my show. Very few do that. And it was so important to me. It was so important to me, and it was it was a lengthy process just to to cite everything and keep everything in order, and then to have that, you know, it's thirty two pages of citation in the back of the book. Yes. And the reason that is there is one hundred and ten percent for Elvis, oh. because I've read all the books too, and so many of them they can say anything they want to, and nothing is cited. So I wanted this project to have integrity from start to finish because it's a level of integrity that Elvis is rarely given, especially from a historical perspective. And I talk about this a lot. You know, we we tend to look at Elvis as a rock and roll star and through that lens of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But Elvis was a historical figure. He shifted the universe he did. <laughs> in, in a very big way. And in the same kind of way that Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and those other guys that did big things first, you know, in the same kind of way. So if we can look at him through a historical lens, if we can research him in a proper way, um, it really did provide a lot of a lot of answers to a lot of the questions well, I think the fans Sally, had. that's why I added your uh, I added the word historian because I thought you you know you don't nothing's listed in that but I felt you were definitely a historian uh, and a storyteller and and told the facts and uh, I mean I, I I actually pulled some of your references and I said wow this is the this is the rest of the story I mean it's really really interesting well it is and, and I really appreciate that I just also want to add that you know we have to look through history through, it, through the lens of when it happened we can't look through history through a 2021 lens because you'll never get an accurate viewpoint that way so you know I was just I was speaking at an Elvis event this weekend and I said you know the research and the writing didn't end with Elvis but I was talking to a friend while I was in the writing process and they said well you're you're writing now right you're done with the research part like well I actually had to stop writing because now I'm researching Mississippi during reconstruction after the Civil War oh. <laughs> and she was like I thought you're writing about Elvis like well I am but I need to understand why his ancestors continue down this road of poverty time and time again and it's because of the times that they're living in so it was really important for me to get that historical good, perspective good. So, did you interview anyone that that you, who knew Elvis personally? I'm, I'm sure that's yes, right? But, but yes, did absolutely. you who who were some of these individuals? I think my listeners will be fascinating by that. Yeah, well, and one of the one of my real goals too is to talk to people not only who knew Elvis but people who had known Gladys mm -hmm. because their their health story is interwoven <laughs> without question. So, I'm really fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time with Guy Harris, who was a childhood friend. Yes. of Elvis's in Tupelo, and his mother was Gladys's best friend. So he was able to give me some perspective on Gladys as well. Um, cousins, you know, Lee Clark is a cousin who a lot of, hasn't been interviewed a lot. Larry Presley is, again, another cousin. He is actually the son of Noah Presley. Noah was incredibly influential in, in Elvis's life. So talking to him, again, those are all, you know, Tupelo people. Um, Tish Henley Kirk was Elvis's nurse on tour. Yes. And at Graceland, she lived at Graceland from 68 to 
until the 80s, actually. So she was a huge wealth of information, as you can imagine, since this is this book does explore his health ailments and how he lives with them. Um, um, were, were, there, Barbara, were they were they open in giving you information, or were they skeptical and worrying about how you're going to portray the situation? Well, it, it was a, it's a you know it's a complicated premise to explain to people, and of course I was completely new to the Elvis world. <laughs> so you know when this book when I first started with this book it was kind of a brain candy project, and I thought well maybe it'll be an ebook on Amazon etc. But the research was so extensive, and there was so much evidence. I thought well I'm going to see if all these people will talk to me too, and and they did, and that's when it just became this real professional project that had to have, you know, professional layout design, editing, and everything behind it, and have a have a, have it be a real book that you hold in your hand, as you say. Um, so meeting these people, having them be so kind and so engaging, honestly, I'd sit down and I would think, well, it'll probably be an hour, and four, five, six hours later, wow. we'd still be talking, and it happened like that over and over again, and so really genesis or time um and and open to what i was presenting because i knew this was a big idea and for the fans out there you know sometimes it is hard because i am asking them to think about elvis in a different way than they've thought about him for decades now so so So. explain that to our listeners in a different way sure sure so elvis when he dies in 1977 he has disease or disorder in nine of the 11 systems of the body again all of that has been somewhat known but it's always written off as the end result of prescription medication use and what my research shows is that at least five of those nine were present prior to fame most likely since birth uh so there's this whole explanation and of how he really does start out as self-medicating and yes the prescription medication becomes a problem but he was self-medicating he was trying to find a way to be all this presley so the real shift in how i would like people to view all this goes from how he's always been presented as a story of self-destruction, really, right? The guy who rises from poverty has it all and then destroys it all. Um, But what his story really is is a futile struggle to survive. And first he survives through this extreme poverty, then he survives through this level of fame that no one had ever experienced before, and then he has to survive through all of these ailments. So those ailments are a huge component, and it really is asking fans to think about his demise, especially in a way that they, you know, in a totally opposite way of how they've been told to think about it for more than four decades. But it also, as you know, because you read the book, I mean, it changes how you see his entire life. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> but it really re- does. But reemphasize one thing. I hope my listeners caught, the, you know, sometimes my, when I have my authors on there, they don't feel that that particular line or that particular statement's important. But you, you stated it. I want you to repeat it again, that he suffered sure. from nine of 11 body systems. Disease and yes. those, and disease and disorder in nine of the eleven systems of the body. But, but, but including, I think the most important thing was five were most likely genetic. They were absolutely present prior to fame, and there is evidence of that. So prior to my research, for example, his colon problem, which people, mm-hmm. you know, all the fans know about, and it Definitely. was it was very serious. That problem alone could have killed him at any time. It's always talked about as the the drugs that he was taking would have slowed down his digestive system and created this problem. However, it was a megacolon that like Dr. Nick and others had never seen before. They didn't even realize how bad it was until the autopsy. Um, and the prior to this research, we had someone in Lauderdale courts who lived with him who would talk about how Elvis was always constipated and that kind of thing. Uh, but with my research, we now have someone, you know, Annie Presley, who was very close with Gladys, is on record as saying, 
it was a problem from the time Elvis was a baby. So the book goes into what he most likely had, but you know, Elvis had colon problems from the time he was a baby. So he he's living with that. And and another way to kind of you know capture this, I often say, is that the Elvis of 1957 has the same disease and disorder as the Elvis of 1977. You just can't see it yet. Okay. Because a lot of it is genetic in nature. A lot of it, you know, is stuff he was born with. Right. A lot of it is why he turns to the prescription medication in the first place. And that's an important question, too. From a journalistic standpoint, I think when you, if, if pop culture is going to tell Elvis' story as one of self-destruction, then they should have long ago asked the question of why did he turn to prescription medication in the first place? And that question has never been asked, and it's never been answered until now. And you did go to this book. And and you gave a wonderful. I mean, it's detail, everyone. I'm, I'm, you'll be fascinating. I mean, I was a tear that I wish this gets more notoriety throughout the world. And um, I definitely wanted to. When I first got it, I said, I definitely have to call this lady and see about getting her on my show, to, especially for all my Elvis fans who listen to my show each and every Saturday morning. I think they're going to find this fascinating, and I know a lot of them are going to, going to want to pick it up and and are going to use this as a basis of our discussions today for them and others to read it and be part of their library. But let's let's go on one more step backwards. About so four years to develop it. So. Mm-hmm. What was your first aim at four years ago? What was the aim of writing the book? I mean, it, it bound up change in three years or two years in, in line. Did it change? Um, yes and no. I, my goal was I, I always I wanted to write this book for Elvis. You know, I am a fan. I'm I'm a I would suppose most people would say I'm a young fan. <laughs> uh, but in talking to other people in my age group, I would constantly hear over and over again, "You're an Elvis fan? Like he just took too many pills and died in the bathroom." You know. And and I just always thought, gosh, you're missing the boat. Like he deserves so much more than that. So if as a society we're we're younger people, especially if that's all they know about Elvis, then I want to do something about that. And that's one of the reasons, you know, with this book, there was in the writing process, it was a delicate balance between providing all the health information and not having it be a medical book because it's not, and then providing enough information for the Elvis fans out there. Um, you know, who have read everything that the the part of the the Elvis story isn't too overtold because they've read all of that. But I also want people who weren't Elvis fans hopefully to read this book and then I want enough of his story to also, you know, balance that out. So I I wrote it for Elvis fans and for non Elvis fans and pop culture enthusiasts and, and again from that aspect or that viewpoint of he's a historical figure. So this is why things happened to Elvis the way they did. Uh, but my goal was always to kind of elevate Elvis in that way, again, to see his story as one of, um, not one of self-destruction, but a futile struggle to survive. That was always really important uh, to see him as a historical figure. Uh, just, just to, again, if we can explain his downfall, then maybe we can talk about his life in a different way. That's true. And again, I want to I want to advocate that she does an excellent job because if you don't know a lot about Elvis's history, she goes through it chapter by chapter and brings in the health concerns and health issues, et cetera. But she also brings up some of the milestones, some of the ups and downs. And it, it's you've done not and it's I'm just want to emphasize it's not just health related issues. He talks about we're talking about other uh, other particular situations that are happening in the world and happening in history and happening with Elvis and the family, et cetera. So it's it's uh, truly, uh, I'm, I'm just going to mention, he, she goes into great detail about B.E. before Elvis, which a lot of us did not know about. And I think you did a great job in doing that research. So hold that, hold that thought. Thank you. 
We'll be right back with okay. more information. But now, work from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Abear's Sun and Country Rush Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kalidas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A-Bear's Town and Country History Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a very special guest. It's Miss Sally Hodell, who is an author, researcher, and historian, and she is discussing her book, Elvis Presley, Destined to Die Young. So thank you, Sally, for taking time to be on our radio show today. Absolutely. So in, in our discussions about your book, uh, I want to ask you, is this a story or a book on self-destruction? I, I No, I, I think it's the exact opposite. And just kind of, you know, what we were talking about in the previous segment, too, it's, it's not just a book about his death. I know even some fans have been concerned. Like, I don't want to read a whole book about Elvis' death. And I always say it's not. Like, this book is truly more about his life than it is his death as you know it's one you know the last chapter really gets into the death a little bit more but the rest of it is is how he struggled with all of these ailments throughout his life and and long before we would have ever have thought that elvis was going to get sick that he was going to have a short life um he was struggling with some of these things and he he turns to prescription medication you know he's a lifelong insomniac that's the first thing he turns the medication for and it works and we also have to remember he grew up so poor having access to this health care he, that really was a component of success for Elvis. He felt like he was so proud that he could provide health care to his family and to himself and have his own doctor and all of that. So it's, it's really not a story of self-destruction, and it, it really does help explain so much. I mean, even as for me as an Elvis fan, you know, there's so many contradictions in Elvis's story. You always leave with, you know, a few questions that never get answered. And um, it was just it was such fun for me to do the research because as a fan, I, I had some of my own questions answered that I had had for decades well, through this research. Well, we can't give away everything in the book, but one thing I thought was very remarkable is that I didn't know this until you brought it up. Maybe other books have stated, but, but they probably just gleamed over it. He had what is called a PDR. So explain to our yes. listeners about that. And he really used that a lot. In reference he did. To, you know. Explain what a PDR is to our listeners out there. Sure. So a PDR is a physician desk reference, and it lists all the medic, you know, all the medications that are on the market and what they're for, and and what they can do. Every doctor has one, and you know. Now tell them back in the, of, back in the '60s and '70s, that was the only way that physicians yes. and healthcare professionals could, could know. That. And I mean, Absolutely. my son's a doctor now. Nobody has a PDR. They all have it automated on their iPhones or iPads exactly. or Android device. Back then, it was a it was a printed book, and it was a very lengthy. I knew that because I was a home healthcare administrator, right. and we had lots of PDRs for all our nurses and staff. So it's a Absolutely. big book. It's not a small. It's not a hundred pages. Several hundred pages. It's not. It's it's three four inches thick. You know. <laughs> and and I carried, do like when you tell him he, he carried that around with him. <laughs> he took it with him a lot of places all the time. He traveled with one in the seventies all the time, and it had been talked about quite a bit in the seventies that he'd have a PDR and he'd look up these medications, but. What I found out is he had a PDR as early as 1956, 1957. So it was always an interest of his. And, you know, Elvis became an avid reader, and he wanted to teach himself things. And the, and the PDR is absolutely one of the ways that, 
that he did that. He wanted to understand things, and that never changes. When his colon problem gets really bad in the 70s, he says to Dr. Nick, can you get me a book that is exclusively just all about the colon so I can understand what's wrong with me? <laughs> and, you know, you just... He was a he was a really intelligent man. He was a well-read man. He wanted to read. He wanted to learn, and that's an aspect of Elvis that's often overlooked too. But it absolutely was the case with his healthcare. And and I think your book also we're talking about the story. You emphasize, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but you went into great detail on how he helped so many others. And when I visited Graceland and went through some of the tours there, I could see that. And I hope more people appreciate. It. He helped everyone. Family members and non-family members, and some people he hardly even knew he helped them, both financially and and career-wise and otherwise. So elaborate a little bit about that. Sure, and I always knew that Elvis was a generous man. Everybody, you know, most people know about the the cars and the rings, right? He kind of Mm -hmm. becomes known for how much he gives away. Uh, But I was also really surprised. There were a few things that I was surprised to come to a better understanding of with Elvis by looking through this health lens with him. And that was definitely one of them. You know, Elvis's story, I think a lot of biographers have looked at understanding Elvis through the lens of his relationship with his mother. And I believe that the answer to understanding Elvis is to look at his relationship with poverty. I, I think that's where the real understanding of Elvis comes from. Because by the time, I think he's 13 or 14, and he's sitting in a room with Gladys and there's a uh, you know a government worker interviewing them to see if they will qualify for, for government housing and it's like in that room on that day it's just him and his mother being interviewed I think that's when he really decided like if anybody's going to save us from this poverty it's got it's going to be me because moving to Memphis didn't help they hoped that moving to Memphis would help and that right. didn't help you know they ended up in government housing um, so he took it upon himself to pull his family out of poverty and I believe that he saw himself as a provider from very early on and although he did become an entertainer who again culturally shifted our universe I don't believe that was his agenda I believe his agenda was to pull his family out of poverty and he might have done that as an electrician but he thought well I'm going to give the singing thing a try and it worked and it worked in an incredibly big way and he was able to provide for a lot of people after yeah, that just not just does. not his family members other members and, no. and quasi related yeah, people I call it Go ahead. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the Memphis Mafia guys come from the same background as he did. They were poor kids in Memphis, and he wanted to pull them out of poverty and keep them there. And it is so tied to all of his health issues, especially in the 70s when he doesn't feel good and he admits it. And people are saying, Albert, you need to stop touring. You don't feel good, blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, yeah, I know. I feel horrible, but I have to. Too many people rely on me. Yeah, I, I saw that throughout. Your, I saw that throughout the book that you emphasized that particular point as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one of the one other thing I think that you could help my listeners out there is many many statements and many facts that you research. You've debunked many myths that uh, uh, have been been around yeah. you know, the market. So you might want to in the area. You might want to tell our listeners about a few of them. Sure. You know, Elvis is a victim of sensationalism. And romanticism. <laughs> so both of those things together, you know, you're never going to get to the truth if, if so much of his story is told through those ones. So uh, just really try to always remember that, you know, Elvis is his parents' son, as we all are. We are all a product of our parents. And knowing how influenced he was by them and how much he loved them and how much he wanted to provide for both his parents, not just his mother, but certainly his mother, you know, I knew that was always a driving force in him. And that doesn't just go away when he becomes famous. Yes, fame changes him, but he still remains that same kid from Tupelo with, you know, parents where they had to struggle. And home was never a place for Elvis because there wasn't a, it, 
they move so much. You know, they moved 12, 13 years in the first 13 years of his, 13 times in the first 13 years of his life. So home to him were those people. It was Gladys and Vernon and his parents. And that's just so instrumental, but it also gets blown out of proportion then, right? So the, right. the relationship with his mother is so mythical, you know, that, you know, people would say things like, well, he died young because he wanted to be like his mother. Uh, he died because he wanted to be with his mother. Uh, but he lived 20 years without his mother, and he became a father and a husband, a film star, a concert, you know, broke concert records in Vegas and all of that. He lived a long time and a full life without his mother. So a lot of that was just the romanticizing of that relationship, and he was close to his mother, without question. Yes. But when we take away that myth and we see why did he really die in a similar way as his mother, and we look at those ailments that they have in common, and, you know, they're all described throughout the book because we know some of what Elvis had, and then we can trace that to Gladys and up her family tree, and the maternal family tree is where a lot of this comes from. Um, but the same thing with Gladys. You know, Gladys is, for decades, her story has been told as her son, her only son, became famous. She dies of a broken heart. They, you know, they moved to Glad they moved to Graceland. The house is so big. He's not there enough. And then when he goes in the army, she dies from a broken heart. Right. And again, that was never enough for me. Um, and it's just not <laughs> true. It's not accurate. And what we know from my research, which we did not know before, uh, one of the most, I think, important pieces of information that I uncovered, I wanted to talk to her cardiologist, mm -hmm. her doctor. And he is described as a doctor and not always a cardiologist in previous writings, but he'd already passed away. So I reached out to his daughter thinking, well, maybe he talked to her, et cetera. Well, it turns out that he took her on house calls with him. Oh, yes, right. And so she was about 10, you know, and not only did she go to Graceland, but she went to Audubon first, which means that Gladys had a cardiologist as early as 1956. And she tells, the daughter tells the story of how Elvis called the house asking for her dad you know, saying, my mom's been referred to a cardiologist. I'd like to make an appointment. And there's a funny story along with that because they kept hanging up on him. They didn't believe it was really Elvis. <laughs> they thought it was a prank call. Uh, but all to say all to say that Elvis and Glad and Vernon both knew how sick Gladys was. It's not normal to need a cardiologist in your early 40s. Sure. So it changes everything with the relationship between Elvis and Gladys and, of course, how she passes and their sadness when he's going in the army and they look so sad you know it's it's not just that he's going to be away for a little bit but they know they probably don't have a lot of time left with her because oh, they yes. they know how sick she is but that was a time when health was kept very private and it wasn't talked about and it's it's been buried for a long time and you know you're right back in those years and we, we didn't have a lot of medical information and medical sharing in america even within the physician community right Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and just another you know little story. Barbara Hearn Smith, she's one of Elvis's famous girlfriends from '56 because there's some beautiful photos of her in a polka dot dress. And people who know Elvis photos from 1956 will know exactly who I'm talking about just by saying that. Um, but they dated for a year, and Barbara was very close to Gladys. So when Gladys was in the hospital in 1957 for two weeks, Barbara would go and stay with her each day. So when I interviewed Barbara, I was I was like, you know, she's she's wow. gonna be able to tell me so much about Gladys's health because mm -hmm. she was there in the hospital with her for two weeks. So I said, I said, so tell me, you know, why was Gladys in the hospital? And she says, oh, I don't know. We never would have asked that. Like in 1957, you would never ask someone why they were in the hospital. No one would ever talk about their health. So I was like, you were there for two weeks visiting her, and you two never talked weeks. about why she was in the hospital. And you never talked about why she was in the hospital. She's like, no, it's not something you would do. In the 50s, you did not talk about your health that way. Mm -hmm. Isn't that fascinating? 
I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't catch that one. But yeah, that, that is that is very fascinating about that. So I know a lot of people are, are listening and saying, "Well, what about this prescription medication? And and why did he why did he stop taking all these prescription meds?" Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, the thing with Elvis and his story, time and time again, is contradiction. And he often requires us to hold two things in tandem at the same time that seem like opposites but both are still absolutely true. So it is absolutely true that Elvis took too much prescription medication, and it is absolutely true that a lot of it was there for health reasons, and he needed to take it in order to be Elvis Presley through these health ailments. Both those things are true at the same time. Um, a lot of what he takes, you know, when, when, you, when his drug problem is talked about in the past, they would just list the medication, you know, that's found in his body there at the end, but they would never talk about what it was there for. A great deal of that medication had a real purpose, for these real ailments that he had and no one talks about that however a lot of these medications have tolerance issues and addiction issues over time and some of them he was taking for almost 20 years so and the other thing to remember is that especially like for his insomnia he could not sleep without medication and that was true from very young you know my research shows that he had trouble with insomnia as a, a very young person and there's only a few reasons for that usually in young people but things like Lunesta and Ambien did not exist. Dr. Nick did not have those things at his disposal. So instead he has to use things, you know, like Valium and, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily associate with that type of disorder today. But it's all they had in the 70s. And, and yes, they had tolerance issues and they had addiction issues. And, and Elvis does have other doctors and that becomes a problem. So I know it's complicated, but both things can be true at the same time. It does start out as a self-medicating situation and, and at times it does become a problem for him but he, he took this medication prescription because he had the conditions that needed he knew that they worked yes. right they weren't it right. wasn't they, abusing it is not just to take it he took it for a he, reason he did abuse it at he did abuse it at times but yes he was taking it for a reason for example um you know he gets uh, sunny west will talk about how he took the audit and who why would anyone need such a strong painkiller and billy smith might say something and these are memphis mafia guys he might say, well, you know, Elvis really did enjoy the feeling it gave him. And I would say, yeah, I'm sure he did because it relieved him from some extreme pain. And the lot of it is, you know, they'll always say, well, that's used, you know, for terminally ill patients. But Elvis had a megacolon mm-hmm. that had to be so painful. And he talks about it as early as 71, right after the way it is, you know, when that is filmed. And he's doing those Vegas shows and he's thin and he looks great. And he writes his TCD oath and he asks for freedom from constipation. Even though he's not bloated by that point yet, he still would have been in intense pain from it. So when he's taking this medication and people are saying, well, he has no reason to take, you know, such strong painkillers. I, I think if you've had constipation issues for 20 years, you can't understand what that and, kind of pain is like. And I'm sure it got severe and severe. You just have to have something to yeah. get the, 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 the Exactly. Well, hold to up. get on top of it. And then to, and to be Elvis Presley, right? And to move That's like right. he does on stage and all those things. Wow. So. Yes, yes. Well, that yep. thought, we'll be right back with more information. But now, work more sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, probably presented by AARP Louisiana Neighbors, standing country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. 
Welcome back to our show, The Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A-Bears, sending country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest, is Miss Sally Hodell, who is an author, researcher, historian, to discuss her book, Elvis Presley, Destined to Die Young. And you can pick up this book by visiting her website at www.elvisauthor.com. Again, that's elvisauthor.com. It's also available at Amazon, and you can also go to the Best of Times website to uh, to order it directly from Amazon as well. And one thing that Sally just told me, if you order it from her website at elvisauthor.com, you get a signed copy. Is that right, Sally? That's right. That's absolutely true. So let's continue. I wish I could interview you for another two hours, but we only have one more <laughs> this segment to go. Uh, and going back, you know, a lot of people put the blame on Dr. Nick. So in your research, I don't think it puts a lot of the blame on him. That yeah, true? that was you know that it's it is true, and that was even as a as a writer researcher, all this and all those things. That was one of the last things I really had to decide because I didn't want to um, villainize him, but I also didn't want to let him off the hook if he didn't deserve that either. Uh, so I talked to a lot of people who knew Dr. Nick. One of my biggest resources actually was Rose Clayton Phillips, and she was the co-writer. Uh, on Dr. Nick's book with him because Dr. Nick had already passed by the time right. I started doing my research. So talking to people who knew him and it was universal. I, I've probably talked to like at least 20 people now who knew him very well if, and most several of them were also his patient. Um, universally, they all say he just cared so much. Like if you knew Dr. Nick, he cared so much. And and that is that does run throughout the story, and I do believe it. Now, I do think the line got very blurred. The mistake he made was crossing that line between physician and friend, because he did become Elvis's friend. And then that's a very complicated relationship to navigate in any situation, but especially with the most famous man on the planet. But what I definitely came back to time and again as I analyzed that is that Dr. Nick was always trying to help with whatever it was. When Elvis gets checked into the hospital, he's running tests. He's trying to figure out what's wrong with him. He understands that his body is not working correctly, that there's something wrong with Elvis he can't quite figure out. And, of course, we know Elvis had an autoimmune system issue, and that wouldn't have been recognized or really known what to do with, right, in the 70s. It's hard to get autoimmune system issues diagnosed today. Um, There are a number of things like that that, Dr. Nick knew something was wrong. He's running tests. Elvis has three big hospital stays. He leaves each one of those knowing he has more wrong with him than what he went in with uh, because of the test and the, what Dr. Nick is trying to figure out. Um, but I think Elvis wanted that wanted help, too, and he knew Dr. Nick was the only person who might be able to help him because at one point, Dr. Nick said, look, you know, you can't be responsible for your own medication because sometimes you take too much. So we're going to have it in three packets, and we're going to deliver it to you, and that was part of, you know, Tish, Nurse Tish living on the property there. She'd get those packets together. And you know what Elvis said? He said, okay. (laughs) And if Elvis hadn't wanted that help, if he was just looking to, you know, get as many pills as he could and to get high and all that, he would have fired Dr. Nick on the spot because he could have any other doctor in there in a second, right? right? He knew that Dr. Nick was trying to help him. And by putting the medication in packets and trying to get on top of what was wrong with him, in my opinion, Dr. Nick is always trying to help. Is it complicated? Yes, because Elvis's life, Elvis's world, everything was very complicated too. And then, like I said, that line between physician and friend gets a little blurred. But he's always trying to help. Well, one of, I could see. A, a follow-up question: Didn't you? There's some mention in here about uh, you know that fans disparage Doctor Nitt, yet others allow like the doctor who injected cortisol into him to escape scrutiny. Explain that a little bit Absolutely. to our listeners. Yeah. There, Elvis had a lot of doctors 
And Dr. Nick and Tish Henley-Kirk, who worked directly with Dr. Nick, were always trying to control that. You know, Tish has told me the stories of how you know, one doctor in particular would show up with a bag of pills and want concert tickets in exchange, and she'd have to run them off. Um, so there were other doctors that were absolutely a problem. They would absolutely give Elvis whatever he wanted, you know, that he didn't need. And the other issue is that when these doctors would give Elvis things, whether it was for his real ailments or just, just to give him stuff, they had no idea what he was already taking under Dr. Nick's care. They had no idea what kind of drug interaction would happen. And, you know, according to Dr. Nick, that's a big problem with uh, the Houston Astrodome show is that he had been given something by another physician and had a reaction to it. So at those times when Elvis seems like he's not doing his best, sometimes there's a drug interaction going on that Dr. Nick had nothing to do with, but one of these other doctors would come in and, you know, it would become a problem. So, um, again, that was just one of the things that Dr. Nick was always trying to control as well. Well, readers, I wanted to emphasize that she goes into great detail. A lot of this I've never seen and never heard about in other particular books or documentaries. So I, I commend you again for doing that research and bringing it to the front. I mean, and you know that's the sad thing is we know we know we know more now than we did back then. And uh, the other thing about genetics, I mean, a lot of it was not known there, right? And back in the fifties and sixties. Absolutely. It wasn't known. And, and a lot of things, we just have to look through it, uh, look at it through a logical lens. You know, for example, we know that Elvis had something called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, and I won't get into that in great detail here, but it's in the book, and we know that's lung and liver issue type genetic disease, and that's probably what Gladys died from because she had extreme liver issues and, you know, was kind of just assumed to be an alcoholic, but through my research that does not hold up. Um, cause, so she had this genetic liver issue. Then it comes from his her mother. And her mother, for decades upon decades upon decades, the story comes down the family tree of her dying from tuberculosis. Yet she had tuberculosis for 30-something years, and, you know, no one else ever caught it. So there's just a, and it's the most contagious disease, you know, there was just a lot of things that didn't logically add up. So then we can, again, assume that she had the lung portion of this alpha-1 disease that we know Elvis was a carrier for. So a lot of it was just, like, it just logically fell in place, and it happened time and time again. And then people in the Elvis world, people who knew him, um, all were so helpful, and with the information they provided, I mean, it, it was really even amazing to me how logically all these dots connected when you look through Elvis's, when you look at Elvis's story through this lens of his health issue. But, Sally, so. you put together all these pieces, this, I would call it a major jigsaw puzzle, and put it into yeah. a perspective of easy understanding and why, and the what's and why is involved. So, again, I commend you yeah. on that. So, Thank you. So, one thing I want to, before we close here, do you believe that Elvis would have wanted you to write this story? I do. I do. And, you know, there have been a few fans who say this is private information. You know, he wouldn't want this told, but I completely disagree because Elvis was trying to hide all of these health problems. It was 1970s. He wanted to be the strong male. You know, even these guys that work for him, yes, they're his friends, but he is their boss. So he doesn't want to appear weak to them either. And he's Elvis Presley, the most recognized man on the planet. He right. never wanted to appear weak. And that, so all of these health issues, they get buried. And they get buried so much that the only known thing is the prescription drug problem. And there's no way on earth that Elvis would want to be remembered for that. And, and that so has I been, for rather, many, you're yeah. right about that. Many people, that's when you mentioned it. Even even when exactly. I was in Europe about him, I was telling them about, you know, Elvis made his start here in Shreveport. Oh, he's he was that, that uh, singer and, and entertainer that was, you know, on drugs all the time. 
And I said, no, yes. he wasn't. I even said that. No, he wasn't. And they said, oh, no. Yeah. So I'm glad that you I'm glad that you have written this book and, and will portray. Um, it, the book is entitled Elvis Presley, Destined to Die Young by Sally Hodel. Uh, if those who haven't read your book, why should they get it? Uh, well, again, I think the biggest thing that this book does in a way that has never been done before is it humanizes Elvis Presley. And whether we are aware of it or not, he is an image for so many of us the world over. He's recognizable 45 years after his death by his image and his first name. And this book humanizes him and it exposes his humanity. He was a he was a real person, not this mythical, you know, Elvis Presley image that we we kind of have in our in our culture today, right? And he overcame again extreme poverty. Um, fame like no one had ever experienced before and then all of these health ailments and when we look at the honesty and the humanity of all that it really does make his story even more incredible well that's a great way to close thank you again for taking time to be part of our radio show and explain your book elvis busley destined to die young by sally hodill and you can visit our website at www.elvisauthor.com thank you again best wishes to you and yours and again thank you for joining us today absolutely thank you so much for having me okay Thank you, everyone, for listening to our show today. Join us next Saturday for another show that could benefit you and your loved ones. Don't forget to pick up your personal copy of The Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Kaligas, wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 9 a.m. for more Best of Times. This is 1017 FM and 710 Kiel.